It's the Blue Bloods coming back at you with another episode, and we have a very special guest joining us today on the show. Dave Hunziker, the voice of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, joins us today to talk all about Oklahoma State football, and we appreciate you joining us today, Dave. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like Zach said, it's great to have you. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and get right into the interview. So my first question is, um, you know, obviously this past season was kind of up and down more or less for, uh, for, uh, for Oklahoma State as far as football goes. Injuries, inconsistencies, uh, they all kind of seem to strike at the worst possible time. Uh, what were your overall takeaways from this past season? Given how certain things unfolded, it turned out pretty good you know, for a couple of reasons, you know, number one is, you know, this team looked like it was potentially in some pretty big trouble after it lost to Baylor. And, right. you know, even, you know, even a, a bowl game at that point in time was, you know, it was like, wow, can they, can they get to a bowl game? Is that, is that a doable thing? Uh, and so, because the schedule wasn't necessarily favorable. And so you're, you know, you're sitting there and you've got five games left and you're three and four. Then they won at Iowa State, which was a really impressive win. Uh, beat TCU at home, which was another good win. But also, in the midst of some of this, they lost Tylen Wallace, the All-American wide receiver, prior to the TCU game for the year. Spencer Sanders went down with an injury during the Kansas game, so they did not have him for the road win at West Virginia or the loss to Oklahoma in Bedlam to end the regular season. So given how young they were and then all the stuff that sort of came up, it turned out probably a little better than I thought it would if you would have told me going into the season, these things are going to happen, X, Y, Z. I would have said, <laughs> did they get to a bowl game? And, that, and they, they said, <laughs> yes, I'd say, you know what, I'll take it. If not, I'd say, well, I'm not that surprised. So it sort of unfolded, you know, I was thinking eight wins. And given everything that happened, you know, where they ended up, you know, it's pretty much on course. Right. 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 And, and, you know, one of the big players I thought for, uh, you know, y'all success this year was Chuba Hubbard. I don't think that surprises anybody listening or yourself. And in my personal opinion, he is the best running back in the country. He was last year and he will be going into this season. Where do you think his performance this past season ranks in Oklahoma State football history? You know, he's not, you know, you, you, you don't even dare mention Barry Sanders because he exists in another universe <laughs> with fair. good reason. I mean, you don't even mention it. You even, I did that my second year here, uttered just the slightest of comparisons, and I was nearly beaten to death and stoned and run out of town. I mean, you just don't even go there with good reason because Barry was the greatest. And Thurman Thomas is another pro football Hall of Famer that played right before Barry did. In fact, they played together. And so when you when you when you, you go through those two guys, then Chuba's probably, I'll be honest, I think he's next. They've had yeah. some good running backs here, guys. I mean, you, you go back and Tatum Bell was an NFL starter. He played here in the early 2000s. They had another NFL player, Dantrell Savage, who was an excellent tailback. Kendall Hunter played in the NFL and and started for a short period of time. Chris Carson's been magnificent for the Seattle Seahawks as a starting tailback as a seventh-round draft choice. Joseph Randall started for the Dallas Cowboys before his personal issues arose. And Justice Hills with the Baltimore Ravens. That's a long list of pretty good guys. But uh, at this point, I think Chuba is pacing to, to be third on the list behind those two legends from the 80s. He's the ultimate combination of power and speed 
His durability can't be questioned. Guys, he played. He was dinged up most of the year. That's what hasn't been widely talked about or widely even known. He was beat up all year and uh, dealing with some injuries that happened in preseason. Yet he still goes for 2,000 yards. And uh, by the end of the year, he was hurting. He was really hurting. And yet he just kind of gutted through and then decided to come back. So he's a pretty special guy. I think he'll have a big year again next year. Right. Yeah, for, for sure. You kind of headed off my question. I'm still going to try it because I, I, I don't care. The people can come after me because I'm super high on Chuba Hubbard. Preseason rankings, I, had, I have them 10th in the country, which is way higher than most people have them. But I'm really high on Oklahoma State. Is there absolutely anything can, that Chuba could do this year? And let's just say he comes back for his senior year. If he comes out and puts up Barry Sanders' numbers and wins the Heisman, I mean, even though Barry Sanders is a legend and he lives in the lore of Oklahoma State history, Chuba Hubbard, if he goes out and puts up those stats and wins the Heisman, people are going to have to start putting him in the conversation. Do you agree with that? Or is it just like you oh, said? Have fam- right. Yeah, they would have. If you do that, you have to because that's rare air. I mean, of course, Thurman Thomas never won the Heisman. And really, Thurman, as good as he was here, he became an even better player in the NFL. He is a terrific pass receiver. Uh, you know, played with Jim Kelly and those Buffalo Bills teams that were very, very good. Incredibly durable. I mean, the whole package. And, of course, Barry was – the one thing that was unfortunate for Barry was he played in Detroit and the teams weren't very good. Uh, it, it would have been fun to see what Barry might have done on a good team. Of course, some of the things he did on plays that were so poorly blocked, his legend might not be what it is if he would have had plays that were blocked properly because he could turn a disaster in terms of how the play was blocked into something that was magnificent because he could slither his way out of trouble and stop on a dime and change speeds and – you know, make guys look like buffoons out there trying to tackle him. But I think, yeah, I think Chuba, if he can pull off what you said, win the Heisman, have another monster year, then he has to have a place with those guys and and probably has to have a place among the all-time, you know, great backs in college football the last 50 years. Oh, now, that's, a big, that's a tall order now. I mean, you, you start yeah, talking about it, sure. pull that off. That's a tall order. But uh, – He's a nice package. Uh, you know, we're kind of thankful his NFL draft grades came back third, fourth round. I think there were a couple of teams that were a little more fond of him that were maybe thinking late second. But, uh, oh, we're thankful he came back. And those grades came back <laughs> lower than I would have thought. It was like, hey, hey, if you don't want him, we do. So if, if you grade him low, you don't think he's what you're looking for, he's most definitely what we're looking for. So uh, we'll <laughs> welcome him back with open arms. I have no doubt about that. I, uh, he is my mortal lock for getting to New York for the Heisman this year. I, I have full confidence in the in Chuba Hover. But to, you know, to shift gears into, you know, National Signing Day was this past Wednesday, and Oklahoma State finished the cycle with the top five class in the conference. And can you speak on some of the recruits that you're most excited for, and that the fans? you know, outside of maybe Stillwater can really be looking for moving forward with this program? You know, the one, and I'm not one that talks a lot about recruiting. I'm one of those old codgers that says evaluate them when they're done. Uh, That's kind of my standard response. But Illingworth, the quarterback, I'll focus on one. He's out of California. He's big. He's between 6'5 and 6'6, broad-shouldered, good arm, very savvy in the pocket. He's the whole package quarterback-wise. It is a bit curious in that Mike Gundy has leaned a little bit more toward the dual threat quarterback with his last two guys, T. 
Taylor Cornelius a year ago, and of course, Spencer Sanders, who is uh, just getting started, so to speak, uh, as far as his Oklahoma State career is concerned. Uh, you know, just he'll just be a sophomore next year, started as a redshirt freshman. But he's, he's the typical pocket, you know, probably if you wanted to stereotype, and I don't want to stereotype him too much because he may be more versed in the passing game than this stereotype would say, but he's kind of your, probably your spread air raid kind of guy. You know, he's not a runner, uh, but he's a big, tall guy that can see the field, that can work the entire field from a quarterback standpoint. You know, so you've got a whole field passing game. And, and so I think he's the, he's the guy that excites me the most. And it'd be interesting, though, to see how that plays out with Spencer Sanders, how that plays out in terms of, you know, what's Oklahoma State going to do philosophically? Are they going to go more back to what they did with, you know, Brandon Whedon and Mason Rudolph where it was a spread and you threw it a ton and uh, you, you use tight ends but sporadically? Or are you going to go more the direction they've gone now, which is multiple tight ends, more of a run emphasis, uh, and part of that was Spencer Sanders' lack of experience. But part of it's what's happened defensively, guys, in the Big 12. You know, Iowa State came up with really the concept of kryptonite as far as the spread offense was concerned with what they were doing with a three-man front and what their safeties were able to do. And it really forced teams in the Big 12 to change offensively. You're seeing most teams now using a tight end, if not two, to create an extra gap and sort of force the hand of the defense because they were just teeing off on everybody. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with Illingworth just as far as schematically what Coach Gundy chooses to do because there's been a pretty big shift in the Big 12 philosophically on offense just this past year. Right. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And, you know, you kind of highlighted it. Chuba Hubbard, Talon Wallace, Spencer Sanders all return this upcoming season for the Cowboys. And, you know, who, uh, Hubbard and Wallace did have a chance to go to the NFL. You, the, the grades came back a little, you know, way lower than we, I think all three of us thought. You know, can you kind of speak on the culture that Mike Gundy has created where guys like this do want to come back even though they have chances in the NFL and how, how big is the chemistry going to be for this team moving forward? Cause I think with all three of these impact players coming back, the offensive chemistry is going to be one of the best in the country. Yeah. And you've got some key linemen coming back as well. And, you know, on the defensive side, there are 10 starters returning. So you're looking at a team that returns depending on, you know, how you want to do the math, you know, maybe as many as 18, 19 starters, you know, one thing that's, you know, one thing about Coach Gundy that's interesting is, and I hopefully you agree with this because I am close to it, and I'm Oklahoma State guy, so I'm not the most objective person in the world, but culturally, what you don't hear out of Oklahoma State football, trouble. Right. Never. Right. Never. Yeah. No off-the-field stuff. No nonsense. Guys kind of know what's expected of them. It's emphasized all the time at the end of practice and in meetings. Guys, all the checklist things, you know, if, if you're out and about and you sense trouble, get out of the way. Respect if you're in the company of, of young ladies, respect them and, and, and don't, you know, do not do things that are disrespectful. Uh, all those things are constantly emphasized and it works. And so there's kind of a winning mood, a winning culture in the locker room. It's not full of four and five star guys. That's not the deal. Uh, they have done a really good job of digging under every rock and looking for talent, especially in the southwestern United States and Texas and Oklahoma, but even up into Canada. But I think as much as anything, it's 
despite, you know, and so you hear that and you think, oh my gosh, it's kind of like a, uh, a boot camp or it's like a, it's like the military. It's no nonsense. That's not true. I mean, it, it's a player's, it is a player's culture, but I think they really buy in and respect coach Gundy enough to know that, uh, Hey, we've kind of got a legacy here of doing things the right way. And I think that's attractive to guys. They, they know coach Gundy is going to shoot them straight. Uh, they know if they're on offense, they're going to play in an exciting offense with coaches who are terrific offensive coaches. They're going to be coached well. And at the end of the day, I think Coach Gundy will do what's in the best interest of those players and try not to put them in harm's way when it comes to, you know, making sure that they have the best body they can to take with them to the NFL so that they can achieve the most that they can and make the most money that they can. So, I just think there's a really positive culture. It's it, there's 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 no there's no ding dong stupid stuff, legal stuff going on. That just does not happen here, uh, and and I think I think guys kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, that's something that you don't really think about a whole lot about the uh, the off the field stuff that you never hear about from Oklahoma State. But that's definitely a great point. Yeah, yeah and I think just, uh, it's a cultural thing. It's 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 important to him. Yeah, and I think Mike Gundy is one of the most underrated coaches in college football, and just my personal opinion. You know, when, when you think about great coaches in college football, he comes up way later in the conversation than I think he probably should. He does. You know, and, and, and beauty's in the eye of the beholder, you know. It's here, because he hasn't beaten Oklahoma consistently, he gets knocked around here way more than he should. And then Oklahoma goes and signs a – top five recruiting class and why aren't we signing those guys because it's not practical <laughs> I mean let's just be honest it's not practical I mean no one else in Oklahoma State's shoes are signing those kind of guys either so you got to be smart uh you got to go find the guys that they're not finding and the results speak for themselves in terms of guys going on to the NFL guys who the pros even maybe misevaluated coming out of college Chris Carson's a classic example He's been fantastic for the Seahawks as a tailback. Another one with the Seahawks has been Trey Flowers, who started at corner almost from day one as a rookie. And, I, and, and Trey was a late-round draft choice. I mean, there are tons of guys like that that were undervalued and turned out to be really nice NFL players. So, yeah, he doesn't – he's very creative offensively. Um, you know, and, again, he gets knocked around for that. You know, it's – but but he he's very much he he's always one step ahead. I mean, he sniffed out this change that was really occurring in the conference with what Iowa State was doing defensively uh, with the rush three concepts that they were using that was shutting down the spread and immediately started thinking in terms of, okay, we've got to shift and change what we do and go to fullbacks, multiple tight ends, things of that nature, more old school. And so he's – you know, and a lot of things have started here at Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, the diamond formation was an Oklahoma State concept uh, that was probably as much the work of Joe Wickline and Dana Holgerson on Coach Gundy's staff, you know, with Coach Gundy involved. Those two, I think, kind of got it started. Coach Gundy added his thoughts on it. I mean, that's an Oklahoma State concept. Uh, so there's been some pretty cool things done here innovatively as far as offense is concerned. Right, and to stick with this Gundy topic, what has he meant to the community of Stillwater, and where would you rank him in terms of coaching success in Oklahoma State history? 
Well, as far as head coaches are concerned in football, he would be number one. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, he, it's an interesting thing with him. You know, he, he's, he's a guy that, you know, he, he's, you know, he's not someone who just goes out and beats his own chest and, and does that type of thing. Sometimes with the fans, he can say things they don't necessarily want to hear and he, they don't like, but he just tells them the truth and he, tells you where he stands and at some point in time that's a valuable thing to have someone do as opposed to just feeling you up with a bunch of nonsense all the time just to make you feel good I mean that's that's not worth much uh but you know it, when you when you step back and you think about what he's done with Oklahoma State football I mean year after year ranked in the top 20 the top 15 you know, all the 10 win seasons, you think about 2010, winning the Big 12 in 2011, just a, an inch or two away from playing for a national championship, 10 win season in 13, 10 win season in 15, 16, 17 was a great year. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the package. And again, I think sometimes the fans here taking for granted, I think they, they forget where we lived 25 years ago in football, which was not in a good place. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, your, your people that really know football don't take it for granted. They get it. Right. For sure. For sure. And, and to kind of build off of that. Um, and yeah, sure. At this point, it's kind of old news, but it still appears on social media and ESPN all the time. But Mike Gundy's, uh, I mean, his legendary, I'm a man, I'm 40 rant is one of the most recognizable off field moments in college football of all time. Uh, how did the community yeah. react to that? And do the recruits still love that Gundy will stick, uh, stick up for his players in that kind of way? Oh, they do. And, you know, you go back to the Texas game last year where, you know, people were – if I remember correctly, they were asking him about the quarterback play. And someone said, you know, the, the, the fans aren't happy about the offense. And Coach Gundy said, I think that's what it was. But anyway, they were questioning something. And they said, well, how do you know they're not happy? And they said, well, on social media, on Twitter, and then Gundy just goes, that's what I think of Twitter. I mean, (laughs) he doesn't care. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, it's – he's just, again, really just an an innovative guy and sticks up for his players and, under you know, just undervalued. And, and again, it's funny. You talk to other coaches and they'll tell you, they just can't believe that people would think, you know, that Mike Gundy is underachieving. It's like, really, are you kidding me? I mean, right. it's just what he's done uh, and all the things he's achieved. But, you know, the I'm a man, I'm 40 thing, uh, there was a story that was just really a series of unfortunate events. Honestly, it was a column that had probably never should have never been written that put our starting quarterback, who had become the reserve quarterback at the time, Bobby Reed, into a very negative light. It was written by a columnist who ordinarily did not write those types of columns. There were backup people on the copy desk at the Daily Oklahoman, and I've been told by people secondhand that they feel like had the the A-team copy editors been there, that that column would have never ran in the paper the way it did. So it's just a lot of things that happened. And then uh, Coach Gundy let the fur fly after it was over. We had to tape TV afterwards, and Coach Gundy and I have a great relationship. We go down the field to tape. I'd heard about it from our sideline guy. We did not have it on the air live. We have our own interview right, with him. Right, right. Walked down there, and he and his wife, Christian, are there. And 
I just looked up at him. I said, what in the heck? What did you do? <laughs> he says, well, just need to get some things set straight. It's like, well, I suspect you achieved it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, unfortunate. Uh, I can shoot him straight. And he shoots me straight and uh, makes it lots of fun because I didn't even hesitate when I walked down there. So what the heck did you just do? He said, I just had to get some things settled up and uh, recruits for a long time. have admired that. I'll tell you that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. One last question about Mike Gundy before we move on to another topic, the mullet. Now, now what's going on with the mullet? Have you seen it in person? And is it just as magnificent in person as it is on television where I saw it? Well, it depends on how you define magnificent, I guess. Um, I love it. I mean, he's a year younger than I, and I'm pretty much, I mean, I'm, I'm to the point where I kind of look like a chia pet. I mean, I don't have much hair. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just kind of there. So I'm the opposite. So perhaps there's some jealousy here going on that, uh, that my locks have kind of departed me and his continue to flow. But uh, it's, you know what he does. He's kind of a P.T. Barnum guy everything's marketing it's just right. for attention not for him but for his program he understands again recruiting wise i've got to do some things to stand out because you know stillwater oklahoma is a wonderful place great facilities great program but it doesn't have maybe the brand recognition of a columbus ohio or a tuscaloosa alabama uh, clemson south carolina so you've got to do some things to stand out you've got to get people to come in the door and take a look so that they understand then it's like, whoa, this is a lot better than what I thought. Got to get them in the door first. And so, yeah. Oh, it, it's the real thing now. There I mean, there's go. nothing fake about it. I mean, it's real. But uh, he's pretty shrewd. There's a little, there's a little, uh, little uh, P.T. Barnum to him. He's very savvy that way. He wants you to think that he's like this country bumpkin, you know, guy that, that is, you know, just kind of, shoots from the hip you know et cetera, et cetera, and you kind of wonder oh how smart really is this guy oh let me tell you something he's really really smart he's right. always a step ahead but he wants you to think he's a step behind then you wake up and look around it's like oh wow he just outfoxed us there's a lot of outfoxing that goes on with him where he's outfoxing the others Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so to move on to, I guess my next point, uh, most of our audience who listen to our podcast are SEC fans or live in the Southeast. So they don't really, they're not really focused on a lot of big 12 football, but yeah. Oklahoma state and Oklahoma, that rivalry bedlam, that is one of the biggest rivalries in all of college football. Um, and I think it's made even more, I, I think it's, I think it's made even more, uh, I, I guess, a bigger rivalry just because these two cities, uh, Stillwater and Norman, are separated by only 80 miles. Can you speak yeah. on the significance of this rivalry and what it means to Oklahoma State? Well, it's 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 huge. And, you know, Oklahoma has dominated the series in football, and that's a sore spot. And for the longest time, there was a tremendous inferiority, com inferiority complex for Oklahoma State. And it, it, it affected how we operated. Now, about the time that I arrived, which was 2001, that started to change. Les Miles was the one who changed all this. His first two seasons at Oklahoma State, they beat Oklahoma and Norman as a 28-point underdog and knocked them out of the national championship game. The next year, they pounded Oklahoma in Stillwater, and the Sooners had an outside chance of making the national championship game. That was over after that. Coach Gundy has not had as much success against Oklahoma, he beat them in 2011 when he won the Big 12 title. 
and upset them in uh, 2014, which was a, uh, a, a huge win. Right. And he's had some close calls with them. Uh, you know, some, some other instances where he's had some close calls, but uh, it's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a, the, the Sooners have their own sort of, I don't know who I would compare them to. There's, they have an aura about them that most find annoying, just to be honest. Uh, and it's not just Oklahoma State, it's especially Oklahoma State, but across the Big 12, they are not a popular group as far as uh, just kind of their, their, their program. I, it's just, I'm sure jealousy plays some role in it for sure, but there's just something that, uh, for whatever reason, people don't seem to like it much. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's intense. And there's, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. If you asked our fans, I swear you can go 11 and one and go to a new year's six bowl and win the league, or you can go nine and three and go to the camping world bowl, but you're going to beat Oklahoma. They probably take the win over Oklahoma, (laughs) (laughs) which which to me kind of blows my mind, but that's, but I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Missouri, but uh, it's, it's one of those rivalries is probably it's probably over the top. Truthfully, uh, it can get it can get weird. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. I, I mean, I, I've had a few interactions with some Oklahoma fans. I was at the Sugar Bowl when Baker Mayfield uh, upset Auburn in the Sugar Bowl and Oklahoma fans were not my favorite. I've said that for years now since that game. But, you know, we'll start wrapping up this interview. We've got three more questions for you. But yeah. Um, I wanted to focus on the atmosphere of Boone Pickens Stadium. Not many casual college football fans would consider Boone Pickens Stadium a tough environment to play in. They wouldn't mention it when talking about the toughest stadiums in college football. What makes it such a unique environment and one of the best in the Big 12? And where would you rank the atmosphere for home, home games for Oklahoma State? Where would you rank it in comparison to other programs in the conference? I would say honestly, and I'm of course again I'm biased. I would say it's 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 number two, if not number three. Uh, you know, Kansas State is really really good. Iowa State's really good. Texas is big, but to be honest, it's just big. I mean, Darrell Royal Stadium is is not terribly loud, and honestly, and maybe because Oklahoma State's had so much success down there, not really all that intimidating. Um, we love to hear that. You know, it's it's that's just being honest. And Texas fans hear this, they're going to go nuts. But you know, <laughs> the thing is, is that the proof's in the pudding. Oklahoma State had a tremendous run. They won down there in 2010, 2011, 2013. Uh, I guess it would have been 2016, and then uh, 2015 and 2016. So they had a heck of a run down there, um, or 2015 and 17. Pardon me. But uh, yeah, it's. I tell you what makes it unique. Number one is the fans are right on top of the field. The only place that I know of that has sidelines as narrow as Oklahoma State or even in the same neighborhood is Virginia Tech. Um, It is tight, tight, tight. You know, the second thing is Gallagher-Iba Arena sits to the east, and so the extra points will ricochet off the basketball arena and come back in. (laughs) And it kind of creates creates a uh, kind of a closed-in feeling. And the thing is, it sits right in the middle of town. You know, so many big college football stadiums sit on the, you know, kind of on the edge of campus, on the edge of town, away from things. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's yeah. – and, and in the Big 12, outside of, 
you know, OU is kind of in the middle of town, but not as much as Oklahoma State. Texas is right in the center of downtown Austin. Uh, but most of the others are kind of to some extent off to themselves. This is right in the middle of everything. I mean, Eskimo Joe's, the classic hangout, is a block and a half away. Okay. The Hideaway Pizza, which is another classic place, is three blocks away. And if you really get into a stupor so drunk that you need to go to confession, the Student Center Catholic Church is across the street. Perfect. And Father Carey will gladly hear a confession. If you've just kind of taken things over the top, I'm sure if you buzz him, he'd gladly hear your confession. <laughs> so it's nice that it's convenient across the street. Uh, but it's, it's, I've said it's kind of like the Wrigley Field of college football. It really is. You've got the tight sidelines. You've got the extra points ricocheting off Gallagher-Iba. It sits right in the middle of everything. And, you know, you get some weird wind things that happen in there. Because another thing that makes it unique is it runs from west to east because the winds are so strong here that uh, there are stadiums in this part of the country that run that way just to keep the wind bearable. But the wind swirls in there and does all kinds of weird things. And it's, uh, and I will say this guys, as far as when the stadium was redone and uh, the West end zone was built, all this was completed in 2009, as far as the quality in terms of, the brickwork, the accent work, the cast iron look, all the uh, all the artwork that's in there, the club level, the suite level. Uh, we've had people come in, and I think it's still true. It's as good, if not the best, in college football. Club level, suite level, all the accents that are done throughout the stadium, the gates, uh, the gate entry areas. You know, it's it is a nice, nice stadium, and the atmosphere can be pretty darn good. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this is going to be my last question. Uh, so what has been your favorite game to call in your Oklahoma State career and why? Oh, boy. Well, it's going to go back to Bedlam. And, you know, winning the Big 12 was a huge thing here. Oklahoma State had never done it. Uh, they had lost the Iowa State game uh, on a Friday night that, that knocked them backwards and, in essence, ended up costing them a chance to win the national title. And, of course, they didn't make the national championship game. But to beat Oklahoma 44-10, to to win the conference championship on your home field, is about as fun as it gets. Now, right behind it would be when Tyreek Hill, now a Super Bowl champion with the Kansas City Chiefs, in his one year at Oklahoma State, returned to punt 90 yards for a touchdown to send a game with Oklahoma to overtime in Norman. And Oklahoma State is a four-touchdown underdog, won that game in overtime. Uh, the, the, the cheetah. Uh, saved the day for Oklahoma State. Of course, the thing about that game is Oklahoma State had been called for a penalty, and Bob Stoops chose to punt again instead of having the ball placed, I think, inside the 20-yard line. You know, yeah, yeah. The only reason that happens, he chose to punt again, and then the punt was mishit. It went to the right side away from the coverage, and, of course, when Tyreek Hill gets a running start, uh, there's, there's no one on a football field in the free world that's going to catch him. So, so those two really jump out. And, you know, there are others. Rashawn Woods, way back in 2003, caught seven touchdown passes and a win at SMU. Probably will never see that again. That's still a record. Uh, they were insistent on playing man coverage, and so we were insistent on throwing the ball to an All-American receiver. So you see how that turned out. Uh, so, so those are some things. There have been some special performances. But the Bedlam wins, and then, you know, that record-setting performance was, was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. So last overall question for you, uh, what is the best case scenario and the worst case scenario in your opinion for the 2020 Oklahoma state football team? You know, best case scenario is the defense continues to mature. And that was a huge part of Oklahoma state's run uh, late October into November is the defense just kept getting better. The defense with 10 starters back continues to mature and takes another leap. Offensively, you stay healthy. You get all those guys back. Your offensive line takes an even, you know, with the second year offensive line coach Charlie Dickey and some guys coming back, it takes a leap forward. And you end up in the 11 12 win type scenario where you are in the hunt to win the Big 12 and in the hunt possibly to make the college football playoff. That is best case scenario. Worst case scenario, uh, you have injuries again. Your offensive line does not take the step forward that you are anticipating. Uh, defensively, you don't progress, and you end up with a, uh, a seven or eight win season, and uh, everybody's kind of left scratching their head. But I, I think this team has a, a tremendous upside. They have great chemistry. They've got some big-time playmakers. And the key thing, honestly, guys, is the development of Spencer Sanders. Uh, they really kept the reins on him last year really simplified the passing game for him because they didn't feel like he was advanced enough to manage the entire field in the passing game. That has to change. They can't operate offensively with a half-field passing game and expect to achieve the type of results we're talking about, which is a top-ten type team. He's got to get to the point where he's comfortable with the entire field. There's every reason to think that will happen, but that must happen or this team won't get to the heights that fans here hope it will. Right. Uh, a- absolutely. And I mean, I, I really think it'll be the best case scenario. Like I said, I have Oklahoma State in my top 10 right now. We released that recently. And a lot of people were confused. A lot of casual football fans don't understand that. But, you know, to wrap this up, we appreciate all, you know, you joining us today. I know you're busy with everything you got going on. But um, is there anything you want to plug? Any uh, any shows, uh, uh, social media accounts, anything like that? Oh, not necessarily. I'm at uh, Twitter at GoPokesVoice, but it's not the most exciting Twitter account. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm kind of an old school guy. I'm, I, I think we're very advanced in terms of our broadcast, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a social media guy, but I'm not. Uh, I figure that eight hours on Saturdays and then during the basketball season, four hours. If you haven't heard enough from me from then, by then, then, uh, geez, then maybe you should just be living with me. I figure figure you're eight hours on football game days and four and a half on basketball game days. They're probably sick of me by then, so they don't need me anywhere else. But, yeah, uh, you know, give our broadcast a listen sometime if, uh, you know, you're an SEC fan and, you know, you're meandering around Sirius XM or, you know, and jump on TuneIn Radio, which is the wonderful app that allows you to listen to anybody. And, uh, you know, give us a try sometime and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, we've got a tremendous crew. Uh, I think I think we do really good work, a quality presentation, uh, a lot of natural sound, trying to get our fans to feel like they're at the game. So, yeah, give us a listen sometime. For sure, for sure. Well, I appreciate uh, the interview, and uh, it's been great to have you. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. This was great. Yeah, for sure. That's for sure. We, we'll look forward to having you on again. And if we and if we ever get to make it to Stillwater for a game, we'll definitely let you know. We'll have to we'll have, we'll have to get together then. Oh, dinner's on me at Joe's, so just mark it down. <laughs> that, Sounds good. That's, that's right. But all right, guys. Well, that is the episode. We appreciate Dave coming on, and can't wait to have him on again. But for right now, that's a wrap. 